Faster than a speeding bullet. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. This amazing stranger from the planet Krypton, the man of steel. Superman! Hello and welcome to another episode of Superman Lives. I am your host, Christopher Moe. It is the 31st of December, 2022, New Year's Eve. We are now right on the cusp of a new year. And this is our final episode of this year. And it will also serve as the final episode of Season 1. So going forward, one of the changes that will be coming to Superman Lives uh, and other content we'll talk about at the end of the show um, is that we will break things down into 12 episode seasons. So this will mark the end of season one. Of course, those of you that have been around since the beginning have heard me talk about the fact that this entire podcast is actually the third volume. Volume one I did way back in 2013. That is sadly lost to the mists of the internet, as it were. Um, volume two I do have, and uh, I will be making that available in the new year on the Superman Lives YouTube channel. Uh, that is separate from where uh, a lot of the podcast episodes for this volume have already been posted. That's on my Fan Man channel. Um, but I'm going to be making those, those episodes available there, and I'll probably post new episodes to both channels. Unless, of course, I find most folks are getting them from one instead of the other, in which case I'll just post them in one place. Uh, but we will have some changes, as I said, and we'll talk about those when we get to the end of this episode. So in this week's episode, we're going to be talking about the funeral for a friend storyline. Many people over the years, especially in 30 years since this original story, many people have said this is the best part. This is, in fact, some have even gone so far as to say it's the only good part. I disagree. Uh, I don't even agree that it's the best part. I do think it's certainly one of the best parts. But I look at the story as a whole, which is how I try to see things that are uh, serialized or that are a continuous story. Many people argue, which, you know, they'll ask you, which of your Star Wars, of the Star Wars films, the original films, is your favorite? That's hard for me to say. Or which do you think is the best? I really don't see them as separate films. Uh, I know they are, but I see them as one story. And same with, you know, you even look at the Star Trek films of the of the 80s where you have Wrath of Khan and, and um, The Search for Spock and The Voyage Home. It's hard for me to say one's better than the other or, or I like one more than the other because it's one continuous three-part story told over about six hours, right? And, and so that's how I look at it. I look at this saga in much the same way. We have the death of Superman, we have a funeral for a friend, we have the reign of the Superman, and then we have the return of Superman. Now, I, I have parts that I enjoy more perhaps than others, but it's it's one big wonderful saga. And I will say this, I think this portion of the overall storyline perhaps has the most heart in a lot of ways simply because it is exploring something that in the comic books up to that time had really never happened. Ever. 
not on not at this um, length of time, and not over this many issues. And that was that Superman is not in the book; he's gone, but his presence loomed large. And that's what a funeral for a friend, and even the reign of Superman, uh, the Superman rather, is about. Superman's gone. How do we keep telling stories about Superman's world without him? And that's what the super. Uh, teams did back in the day, and it makes for some excellent storytelling. So this is a wonderful, very emotionally rich, character-rich story uh, arc that is a subset of the overall saga. And what I think it's a testament to is this particular creative team had picked up from John Byrne, of course, who rebooted the Superman books after Crisis on Infinite Earths. They picked up these characters that he and also Marv Wolfman had really begun to flesh out and in doing so, they only added to their characterization, their richness, adding new characters, developing stories for them. And so if you were a reader coming into this, you might feel a little overwhelmed by all these characters, who are they, and what's their relationship to Superman and the people everybody knows. But you would soon find this is a rich tapestry, and these are this, this is a world. It's a fully developed world. Even Metropolis had been fully mapped out and was often referenced in those comics and, and in other places, uh, very much like New York City. There was a map, and, and there were portions that were referenced, and they were the settings for various uh, stories through the years. And so that richness is seen in this entire saga, but I think it really shines perhaps most here because with Superman dead, these characters become the the uh, the focus, the spotlight. And so that's what we're going to talk about. So let me give you some dates here as we've been doing as we cover this story 30 years later. And we are looking at an technically, I guess we could say it's an eight-part story. It depends on how you want to count it. Um, count the issues. Funeral for a Friend began in Adventures of Superman number 498. That was on November the 25th, 1992, followed by Justice League 70, December 3rd, 1992, or December 2nd, I'm sorry. Action Comics 685 came out the same day, December 2nd, 1992, followed the next week. Man of Steel number 20, December 16th, uh, 1992, Superman 76, which we've covered already. That was the Christmas-themed issue, Metropolis Mailbag 2. That was December 23rd, 1992. And then Adventures of Superman 499 was uh, December 30th, 1992. After that, we are rolling forward into 1993. So what we're going to do is in this episode, uh, we are going to address only those issues leading up to uh, the new year, which was then 1993. So we're only going to cover that portion of Funeral for a Friend. And then when we return next week, really, right in the new year, we will conclude our coverage of Funeral for a Friend. Even though it won't be over next week, we're going to do that. We're going to move on to some other um, other topics for the podcast and then we will come back for the reign of the supermen and uh, we'll probably be doing reign of the supermen in various parts uh, skipping around here and there to come back to it but then covering other things because that storyline of course was almost a year long and as a result uh, I want to I don't want to just talk about it in one or two episodes. I want to give it its due. So that's how we're going to address that today. So in this episode, we're going to be talking about really only five issues. Um, and uh, this is, I'm using as my reference, my digital copy of Funeral for a Friend. And I want to point out, just for the sake of, I guess, uh, you know, historical interest, back in the day, 1993 to be particular, 
of course, at, at the very end of 1992, DC rushed to put out the trade of the death of Superman, which became one of the biggest selling trade paperbacks in the history of the medium. Then in 1993, they rushed out a reprint of these funeral issues, and they, oddly enough, titled that collection World Without a Superman. And that's not that unusual a title. In fact, it's one that was used as not a title for the storyline, but it was on the cover of many of these issues of Funeral for a Friend. And I can see from a marketing standpoint why they would do that, because most uh, casual readers would not really know what that meant. Funeral for a friend. What does this mean? What? What? You know, obviously it's Superman, but why is that title being used? Um, and so, World Without a Superman is much uh, easier and perhaps more marketable to the casual reader or the new reader. Uh, and so, this trade, though, released in 2016, along with other trades, some new ones included to make a really nice collection going from the death of Superman to uh, Superman Doomsday Hunter Prey and even the Doomsday Wars where Brainiac takes control of Doomsday's body. All of that is included in one of those subsequent trades. Um, this one returns to the title, Funeral for a Friend. And um, and so we start off with The Adventures of Superman number 498, Funeral for a Friend number one is on the cover. And this is one of those covers that, you know, I suppose somebody who's not reading all of this uh, maybe might look at this whole storyline, and we certainly had this criticism, and they might say, well, this is a bit morbid, isn't it, right? Uh, this cover in particular, I could see some people looking at it and saying this is very morbid, uh, morbid rather. And it, it isn't, but I guess to a degree it is, but the point was not to sensationalize death or Superman's death. It was to show the stark reality that this character in the fictional world had died, but also to reflect the impact that this had on people in the real world because it, it wasn't unprecedented, as we talked about over past episodes. This had an unprecedented effect uh, on the general audience who didn't really fully understand, as I didn't, as I've said, that this was not going to be permanent as it seemed to be, um, and that it, it really did hit at a very intriguing time because had it been you know a year earlier or later with things going on in the world it might have just become a footnote but it resonated it was it made saturday night live and i played some clips from that that funeral sketch that they did and and i feel that um i i feel that that is a sign certainly in in american culture that you've arrived you've have a particular relevance if you've been mentioned in any way on Saturday Night Live, and it wasn't just mentioned, it was a whole sketch, uh, done very lovingly, I might add. Um, so this cover is in-universe, it is a photograph taken by Jimmy Olsen. How he gets this, I don't know. I, I don't remember if it's ever seen or explained how he got this vantage point. We're seeing Superman, it's a black and white photo, we're seeing Superman from above, and it's a full body shot. He is lying in this kind of um, uh, webbed, uh, crack. There's a web of cracks surrounding his body in the concrete because what happened is he and Doomsday threw those final punches both thrown to the ground with great impact. And it's made this crater here and these were the, the blows that ended up being the end for both of them. And he is there. Of course we read in Superman 75 glass windows shattering people feeling this shock wave, this, these tremendous punches. And we see Superman, he's lying there, his costume in tatters, uh, the, the huge crater 
that he is in, his body falling has created. We see copies of the Daily Planet flying along. They read Doomsday Massacre, the headlines, and Superman is dead. His mouth open, his eyes closed. He is dead. It's a very shocking, I think a very stark image. Um, and, and what I think is so powerful, it's so beautifully rendered by Doug Hazelwood on inks and, of course, Tom Grummet on pencils. But I think it just really sends home the message, Superman is dead. And we're treating this as realistically as we can for a comic book. And um, and they, they just did a beautiful job. This team, as I've said uh, more than once now, no other team, I believe, could have matched the level um, of sophistication in, in a lot of ways that they treated this and dedication and richness that they gave uh, the characterization and the considerations they gave for all of these things. You know, if you did a done-in-one story, Superman dies, as we saw in the, uh, in the Silver Age, in the Bronze Age even, uh, we had, well, mainly in the Silver Age. That's a done-in-one, and you've got however many pages, and you're done. And, oh, okay, Superman's dead. Supergirl's going to take over. Luthor is going to be sentenced because he's the one responsible for it, et cetera. And that's it. We don't know what happens to Clark Kent and his apartment. All of that had to be addressed. Of course, the Kents are alive in this continuity, so what will be uh, come of them? Lois knows that Clark is Superman, and they're engaged. What becomes of that? So these are all themes that are going to be addressed um, and very well done, very respectfully, and I think very dramatically. One of the comparisons many people make about this entire era of Superman comic books, they liken it, uh, I've read and heard people liken it to soap opera storytelling, which is not a negative, but the serialized storytelling, intricate, many different plots, many different characters, and I, and I think that is a compliment here uh, because it is, that is what we see, uh, especially on display in this particular uh, sub-story in the overall saga. So what's interesting here, this issue, of course, is Adventures of Superman number 498. Um, and we open with Bloodwind, who we've talked about now. He's got the, the um, not the body, but he's he's got ice in his arms, right? Member of the Justice League. She's fallen over and he's holding her. And he says, I do not detect any signs of life, any brain activity in the body of Superman. And he says, I can help Ace, uh, Ice rather if I can transport her to a nearby hospital. We have Lois Lane, her face covered in tears, and Jimmy is behind her. And if you remember that last, you know, fold-out panel or page in Superman 75 where she's holding his body uh, and, and his body then falls and she's looking up and crying, um, we're there again. But now she's holding his body again and his cape, which we saw, you know, blown in the wind and uh, flying from that that post, or that piece of wood, is now laid on him. When did this happen? How did this happen? Why is Ice, who we saw standing watching that moment where Superman died, why is she now uh, incapacitated? That's where the next issue will come in, which is not an issue of Superman, but rather Justice League. But we have Jimmy Olsen saying to Lois, we're not going to take Bloodwind's uh, word for this, are we, that Superman's dead? And um, we have Guardian there as well. And we see then also the body of Doomsday and the uh, Metropolis Special Crimes Unit is coming in. They've been ordered to come in and uh, try to secure the body. They're very, as you would uh, hope and imagine, very skittish, very afraid that Doomsday could be alive because if he is, it took Superman to stop him and he died in the process, what would we do? Double X is there. He's confirming that there is no brain activity within Superman. 
just as Bloodwind has said. Um, and <clears throat> then we have um, we have Maggie Sawyer, who is um, telling everyone in her team to calm down. Double X is now asked, scan Doomsday's brain. Doing so, he finds out that there was rage and anger. Now there is nothing. Lois says, why are we all standing here doing nothing? We've got to do something to bring Superman back. Jimmy says, Lois, even Double X says he's dead. Lois says, Superman's an alien for crying out loud. We know his body differs from ours. And uh, Kat Grant is there, and she says, there's no signs of life. There's nothing we can really do. Face facts, Lois. Jimmy agreeing. And then Kat says, maybe Star Labs has medical equipment that could help. She's cut off as Lois screams out, damn it. Somebody's got to do something. We owe the man more than this. So Guardian comes in. He begins uh, uh, trying CPR on Superman, saying that these lungs are like iron tanks. He can't get any kind of rise in Superman's chest. Um, by the way, if you don't know, Guardian was created by Jack uh, Kirby and Joe Simon, similar to Captain America, and I believe created in 1943. Um, not doesn't have superpowers, but is kind of at the peak of of human. Um, development, you know, kind of like Cap would be with the super soldier serum. So this guy is stronger than your average human being, and he can't get a rise in Superman's chest. The EMTs arrive, and they use their defibrillator paddles, and they have no uh, no response. Meanwhile, Dan Turpin is walking around. He finds the body of Matrix, who, of course, is Supergirl, and uh, then Lex Luthor the second shows up. He takes her away. And the EMTs are uh, still trying. They say they are unable to get any kind of activity out of Superman. They'll melt the paddles if they keep trying. Guardian says, then melt the blasted paddles, but keep at it. And uh, they then start talking about, did, did Superman ever see a physician? And Lois said, says no. She says that maybe somebody at Star Labs has examined him. Uh, Jimmy Olsen brings up the fact that there was a doctor who treated Superman when he was shot with a kryptonite bullet, which is a reference to past storylines. And it was a Dr. Sanchez at Metro General. They try to get in touch with him so that he can maybe help in the uh, restorative process to try and see if they can revive Superman. Then Cat Grant says, can't you call up Clark and have him get Lois away from all of this to Jimmy? And... Lois thinks, I hadn't thought this through. Dear God, what about his folks? Did they see their son die on TV? Um, Jimmy says, I'm surprised Mr. Kent or Clark isn't here already. The whole world must have watched this mess via satellite. Uh, in comes a van from GBS and WGBS, and Cat Grant says to Lois, you've got to do your job. You've got to report. She goes off. Lois goes off with Jimmy. We cut to a scene with Cat Grant's son and Jose Delgado, who is the gangbuster. I'm going to skip that because it's a subplot that, that's a little irrelevant in some ways. Irrelevant. We then go to Smallville, and the news reporting there, no brain activity detected in the Man of Steel, and Jonathan and Martha are sitting there stunned, and she asks, what if they're right? And then Jonathan says, we keep on praying to the good Lord for our boy, Ma. We go back. We are in Metropolis now, Lex Tower, Lex Core Tower, and um, we have Lex with 
Matrix. She turns into her Supergirl form after great effort. She's got bruises, and uh, it's because of the damage she took from Doomsday. Um, speaking of which, his body being loaded into a truck by Cadmus, director Westfield, who's a, a, a jerk, putting it mildly, shows up with the Cadmus uh, guys. They're loading his body. He says, we are authorized to take both Superman and the body of Doomsday. And uh, Maggie Sawyer says, over my dead body, you've got to show me some paper. He says, my agency doesn't do paper. We don't have to explain ourselves. And a Guardian says to uh, Westfield, let us use... Uh, the power platforms to try and jolt Superman's heart. And um, these are these flying guys we saw in Superman 75 that were shooting these shock beams. That's what Guardian wants to use to try to revive Superman. Uh, Westfield is is fighting back and forth, and uh, Turpin gets upset after uh, Westfield is very rude to Inspector Sawyer. and uh, I'm sorry, to Captain Sawyer, Maggie Sawyer, and he punches him right in the gut. <laughs> which is great. Dan Turpin, a great Jack Kirby character. Uh, so they get these platforms, and then they have Dr. Emil Hamilton. He shows up with Bibbo Babowski, another wonderful character from this era. And he's got a machine that will help to transfer the power from the um, these cannons that uh, the Cadmus fly guys have into the defibrillator paddles. And so they do that. Uh, Bibbo volunteers to be the first to go. He has to actually have, uh, because of the danger to him with all this energy, he has to use a force field that Professor Hamilton gives him. And then he uh, holds on. The energy is transferred right into this converter and from the converter into the paddles. And the explosion from this is so uh, intense, it actually throws um, Bibbo into the air, destroys the paddles in the process. And... um, after this great jolt, Double X says there is still no brain activity. Bibbo says, I can go another round. By the way, if you don't know, Bibbo was a former boxer. So uh, Guardian instead says, I will, I will help. He gets in. They continue to try and jolt Superman back. Uh, but Dan Turpin says, damn, it ain't working. Meanwhile, over at the Daily Planet, um, it is now being confirmed, essentially, that Superman is dead. Uh, and Jimmy Olsen feels really bad about the photos he's taken. He says he's going to just destroy the negatives. But Perry says, this is your job. This is what we need to do to tell the world about Superman's last moments. And uh, that's our job. So uh, Lois, meanwhile, she's writing up her story about Superman's death, which she witnessed. And um, Jimmy offers to walk her home. And then Clark is brought up. And what's interesting in this particular scene here is how Lois is talking from her perspective, and yet all the uh, members of the supporting cast here are hearing it from their perspective. She says, um, I can't speak for the rest of you, but I never really thought he could die. He cheated death so many times. It's hard to imagine never seeing his face or hearing his voice again or taking his easygoing nature for." granted. And she never says a name. She just says he. Now, who's she talking about? Clark, right? Who's Superman? But she's talking about him as both, since she knows that he is both. But Jimmy says, don't worry, Lois. Mr. Kent will turn up. You just watch. You know how lucky he's always been. She says his luck ran out when Superman died. So I thought that was a really beautifully written sequence there that shows Lois's struggle. Because Lois, 
um, is going through a particular struggle that no one else has, and that is that she has to function in this world knowing that Clark was Superman and has to has to keep that to herself, protect that. Uh, and, and I'm sure, as we'll see, it's referenced here uh, at one point that she considers, you know, that not having to be protected anymore, but also realizing it has to because if anybody found out who his family is that survived him, they would absolutely want to get revenge. Um, Perry says, let's not jump the gun, but if it is so, meaning that both Clark, Clark is dead as well, we'll make damn sure to keep both of their memories alive. I swear it. That ends this issue. We then go to Funeral for a Friend. Now, this isn't numbered, so it's not technically part of the Funeral for a Friend storyline. Justice League America, number 70, by Dan Jurgens and Rick Burchett. And um, the only the only thing I want to mention about this is a few things. One is that we're opening really essentially where that issue we just went through opened, but the, from the perspective of the Justice League members. So Lois is there. She's holding, cradling Superman's dead body. Um, and we have Ice now standing, right? So she was in Bloodwind's arms in that previous issue. And she takes the cape off of the post and puts it over Superman's body. Uh, while Lois lets him gently down to the ground, and then she is overwhelmed. She's, of course, been injured in the battle with Doomsday, but also now overwhelmed, and that is why Bloodwind has to carry her off. I'm going to run really quickly through this issue because it really is written in such a way. For those folks who weren't Superman title readers, just Justice League readers, this is focused primarily on the Justice League and and their um, the effects of Doomsday on them. So I, I just want to skip through this, and there is a moment where several superheroes from the DCU, former, current Justice League members, come back to the Justice League headquarters. We have Wally West Flash, who's running around the world and seeing the global response to Superman's death flags uh, at half-mast at the United Nations. He arrives there, talks to Booster Gold. Aquaman then appears. Then Batman and Tim Drake Robin. And this is a wonderful moment I do want to talk about. Dan Jurgens writes this. And in one, and I love this so much because um, this is something I think is largely gone from Batman comics today and I believe from modern interpretations in film. Uh, this is gone. And he is talking to Booster Gold and um, who, who feels guilty about Superman's death. And Batman says, Superman knew the odds. He knew the game might end this way. When someone close to you dies, all you can do is use that death as a force for good. Um, that's Batman in a nutshell. He turns that trauma, that tragedy he went through, into good. That's the character right there. So many people don't get that. You know, We've seen the Batman of uh, modern times. He's this paramilitary thug that enjoys breaking bones and and threatening people, and uh, the Zack Snyder version, and even this Matt Reeves version. That's not Batman. So I'm going to be giving you a lot more particular thoughts about Batman in the coming year. More to come on that at the end of this episode. Hal Jordan then flies in, as well as Hawkman, uh, and then other heroes begin to arrive. We have Starfire and um, Nightwing from the Titans. We have members of the JSA in uh, Jay Garrick and Alan Scott and Power Girl, and also uh, Elongated Man arrives. We have Wonder Woman and even Etrigan and uh, 
Green Arrow, Black Canary, and Oberon, who worked for the Justice League. He's there with the black armbands. He hands these out, and we have this two-page spread, all of the heroes wearing these black armbands mourning Superman. Wonderful meta connection, right? From the the fictional world here where Superman has passed to the real world where in, in, in Superman 75, the bagged edition, you got a black armband you could wear to honor his his passing. And and it's a wonderful moment there. It really is, again, I think a testament to this team, to this particular group uh, of writers and artists. I'm not sure, again, anybody else could have done it this, this well. Um, we then go toward the end of the issue where Ice uses her power. She's now recovered, and she makes a statue in uh, of Superman out of ice to honor him. And uh, we have Blue Beetle, who is... Um, in a coma, we have uh, we end the issue with Booster Gold um, at his bedside, hoping that he will uh, be okay. Now we're back to the funeral for a friend storyline proper. So, chapter two, and this is Action Comics six eighty five. Though instead of saying Superman in Action Comics, it reads Supergirl, and we have a recreation of Action Comics number one, uh, really nicely done here. And um, it says in the on the side for Joe, right? Uh, Joe Schuster, and it's Jackson Geis, and it's Supergirl smashing a green car into a rock as criminals run away. And again, of course, that is that classic first appearance of Superman. Written by this issue is written by uh, Roger Stern, art by Jackson Geis and um, Dennis Rodier, and it opens with that that cover we talked about. Um, the, the uh, picture that Jimmy took of Superman in the crater, dead. And we have Lois's headline now. This is the uh, death edition, memorial edition of the Daily Planet. And the headline reads, Superman, dead, Metropolis Marvel killed in action by Lois Lane. Uh, and so we have a news report about this. We go to Cadmus. The title of this issue, Reactions, which I thought was a nice way, R-E colon and then actions with the Action Comics logo. And we have Westfield coming in saying that he has the right to take Doomsday and Superman. And, um, of course, with Guardian standing in there with um, Maggie Sawyer, Dan Turpin saying there's no way that this is going to happen. Lex Luthor, meanwhile, finding out that there's this battle for Superman's body, and he calls the mayor of Metropolis, Mayor Berkowitz, who then is going to uh, get in touch with the White House. Team Luthor, his his armored um, security force, comes in to Cadmus. They break in. Uh, there's a there's a bit of a battle with the Cadmus guys, uh, and then Supergirl flies in and uh, brings peace to the situation. And that's when Luthor gets there with Berkowitz, who says that I have faxes from the White House that say that Superman is an American citizen. This is from the president himself, the president himself. And by God, we intend to see that he's given a decent burial in Metropolis. At that point, Lex re, uh, reveals, I am going to put all of my money and resources towards building a memorial to Superman in Centennial Park in Metropolis. And um, so we have to wonder, with Luthor, why? Would he be doing that? Meanwhile, Cadmus has uh, no jurisdiction now. They can't take Superman's body. So they leave with what appears to be a dump truck with Doomsday's body in it, and they head off. Meanwhile, news reports are saying uh, that uh, we see an interview with Luthor. He says, 
Uh, Superman's death has affected us all deeply, and it's proper and fitting that we mourn his passing, especially those of us in Metropolis who knew him so well. To end, to that end, Mayor Berkowitz has informed me that a section of Centennial Park will be set aside as a final resting place for our champion, and I pledge to you now that the full resources of LexCorp International shall be put to work at that site to erect a monument worthy of a Superman. Over the Daily Planet, we have Perry, Lois, and Jimmy finding this out. Uh, Lois being asked if anyone has uh, heard anything from Clark or about Clark. She then leaves um, the Daily Planet. She is headed somewhere. We're not sure. We jump to Smallville. The phone rings, and Lois is thinking that she should have called the Kents, but she can't bring herself to do so. And the Kents answer the phone. And it's Lana Lang. She's in disbelief, asking, is this real? Has this really happened? There's no way this can be true. And they say, yes, it is. Clark's dead. Um, so we then um, we then have uh, various other people uh, that are in Metropolis hearing the news. Just, you know, Metropolis citizens reflecting on the death of Superman. And, and uh, we have folks that are in various parts, some in Australia, uh, we have some in Japan, uh, some in the Middle East, uh, some in, in Africa, and even Russia, all reacting, mourning over the, the confirmation that Superman is indeed dead. Uh, we then go back to Metropolis, where Dr. Sanchez, who we, we learned about earlier, had uh, previously examined Superman. And he is confirming to Mayor Berkowitz and to Luthor that Superman um, is indeed dead and that that was really impossible to do an autopsy, uh, but he had examined Superman during his life and says there's there's no way to tell uh, as far as an autopsy, but he definitely is not showing any signs of life. Then Luthor sees Doomsday's body, and he grabs a chair and smashes it. And uh, we have Dan Turpin there saying, take it easy, Luthor. Smashing furniture over Mr. Ugly won't do any good. Believe me, I know how you feel, but... And Luthor thinks to himself, no, you do not know. Superman was mine to kill, mine. I've been cheated of my vengeance. A monster has robbed me of that which I desired more than anything. And it's interesting because I wonder if the the writers at the time, the creators, were commenting on the fact that there was quite a bit of flack. Some, some Superman fans at the time thought Luthor should be the one to kill Superman. The problem with that is that they were doing something new here that had been done before in the Silver Age, very famously, in fact. Um, and so, that, but that was a criticism, which I never got that criticism because I thought, you know, this this is in a way better because you're seeing how this death not involving Luthor affects Luthor, right? And how he reacts to it, which I thought is something you'd miss if you had him kill him and it would just be kind of gloating and yay and you know all this kind of stuff that Superman's dead. Now he's been cheated and I and I think there's something very very uh, intriguing about that as a story element. Lois meanwhile goes to Clark's apartment and um, she says she's thinking to herself I can't let that get out, that, that Clark was Superman. He had so many enemies. Some of them wouldn't think twice about taking their revenge on his family. She thinks, I was almost part of that family. She's looking at pictures of them, uh, of the Kents together, and of her and Clark together. And um, she's got his, his cape there. And um, we are then jumping to prisons in Metropolis, right? And we have the reaction of 
criminals, some of them super criminals and others just regular criminals. Uh, we have Toy Man saying, Superman may have thwarted the Toy Man's revenge, but I take no joy in his passing. Indeed, who could? We have uh, Parasite saying, I don't care that he's dead. It, it's, you know, I don't care other than now I can't take any more of his power. Um, then we have all these other prisoners um, that are on Strikers Island, and they're saying some of them are, are thrilled, but then, and we have one saying, yeehaw, super blank is dead, right? Looks like a curse word that's, uh, you know, kind of gibberish. Um, and then one guy, one prisoner says, watch your mouth, man. Yeah, Superman saved my grandma's life once. So even among these criminals, there is there is respect for Superman. Speaking of crime, crime is now rampant throughout Metropolis because Superman is gone and it's been confirmed. And there are these criminals in a green car. And as they're escaping after robbing a, um, let's see, what is it? Is it a truck there? Oh, no, they've just robbed, it looks like a, a convenience store. And as they're escaping, uh, there's a cop. They run him down in their car. And then they see an S-shield in the rear view mirror. And they think it can't be Superman. And then they see Supergirl. And uh, she takes the car down, takes them down, smashing the car, just like on the cover, um, and first shakes out the criminals. They shoot her. She stops the bullets in midair with her telekinetic ability and rounds them up for the police. We then have Bibbo. Uh, he goes, he's getting back to the Ace of Clubs. He kicks everybody else out because he owns the place. He kicks them out. And this is one of the most moving and I think powerfully done scenes in this entire uh, storyline overall. And we have Bibbo Babowski praying. And he says, God, it's me, Bibbo. Been a while since we talked. I know my pal Superman is with you now. So I guess we he don't really need my prayers, but the rest of us sure do. And so then he says the Hail Mary. And the whole Hail Mary is here in the comic. And then after he finishes it, he says, take good care of Superman. Okay, God, I miss him. I expect just about everybody misses him. God, I got to ask you, why? Why should Superman die when a washed up old roughneck like me goes on living? It ain't right, God. It just ain't right. And he's kneeling now on the floor of the bar alone in the dark. And just beautiful, moving scene. Uh, that ends that issue. We then go to Funeral for a Friend, number three, which is Superman, the Man of Steel, number 20, cover by John Bogdanov and Dennis Janke. And um, we, we have a really beautiful cover here. We have uh, some superheroes now uh, who we have not yet seen, uh, like Mr. Miracle is on the cover there, uh, and Captain Marvel, and they are standing at a plaque it says, in memoriam, Superman killed on this spot while defending the city. Uh, with Batman and Robin looking on from the top of a nearby building. And we get into this issue, and we have Lex Luthor rushing, talking to all of his different assistants, making the plans to have the statue rushed, uh, the, the memorial rushed to completion. Uh, we then also go back to Metropolis. And the Kents, Jonathan and Martha, are, are talking about their sorrow over being unable to attend this massive funeral because who are they? Why would they be allowed to go? Um, then we have all these folks at the Daily Planet telling Jim Olson, hey, Jimmy, you're going to be able to write your own ticket. You're going to make so much money uh, from this photo, the licensing. Lois, meanwhile, is, is there. She's dressed for the funeral, so is Perry. And... Um, She's thinking to herself that she should have called the Kents by now, but can't bring herself. And an interesting little moment here. 
We have some of the the staffers at the Daily Planet talking about why Lois is so upset over Superman's death. And it seems like Superman, because they're probably thinking of Clark, but she's thinking of Superman. And some of the characters take it differently at different times, kind of suggesting some of them are like, why why is she more moved about Superman's death than Clark's? And um, it's a nice, that, that duality of the situation, it's a very nice little touch there. Lois then leaves. She goes up to the roof of the Daily Planet and stands on the edge of the uh, Daily Planet logo that's on the, the big uh, rotating globe and thinks about the life that she could have had with Clark. And she hears drums from the funeral cortege and says, wait for me, Clark, I'm coming. She goes down and sees the plaque. Flowers have been strewn there. Uh, Jimmy meets her and he says they're holding a space for us up front. We then have a two-page spread of Superman with a state funeral. So his casket is um, on a uh, horse-drawn carriage, and it's covered with the American flag. There's an S-shield emblazoned on the side of the carriage. And we have all the superhero community, essentially, walking behind the casket as an honor guard. Um all those that I've mentioned before, and we have some new arrivals here as well. We've got Big Barda even. We've got the Metal Men. Um, I'm looking to see if there's anybody else we, we haven't mentioned yet. Um, we've Geoforce. So some of the other Titans have shown up here. It looks like Dr. Light. And they've all um, gathered here to honor Superman. What's very cool, too, is that John Bogdanov, the artist, has drawn members of the Superman creative teams uh, in to the funeral uh, goers, so you can tell, and and one of the collections, I don't remember which one, actually has a little guide that shows you uh, who is who, right? Which one of these, but but if you've ever seen these people, you know, you can tell that's Dan Jurgens and there's Jerry Ordway, and what's really cool is that John Bogdanov is there with his son and his wife, and his son he named Kalel, so they're they're there watching along with Lois and Jimmy. We then have some of the supporting cast members from Man of Steel reacting to uh, all of this going on. We jump to another planet, right? And we have um, someone very angry about Superman's death, and it's Lobo. And he's angry kind of for the same reason Luthor is. He wanted to kill him. And uh, and he's very upset he didn't get to. We jump back to Metropolis, Earth and Metropolis. Now, there was a storyline prior to all of this, called Crisis at Hand. And it was a a homage and an expansion uh, of a story from the Golden Age where Superman faced a wife beater. And and it involved Clark Kent in his apartment complex overhearing with his super hearing that there was a family where the husband was was beating his wife and the kids were there and uh, having to figure out, how do I intervene? So that family is here. And they had two boys. The oldest boy is telling the youngest boy, it's Superman's fault our daddy ain't with us no more. Serves him right that he's dead. So he's obviously bitter about this. Um, And we have Keith. If you remember him from that first issue of the Death of Superman arc, he's got his cat with him. And um, he's thinking uh, thinking about Superman. And he says, Superman, he's thinking to himself, Superman always treated me like I was his friend. And the little boy... Uh, Teddy says, Superman made Daddy stop hitting Mommy, and I'm glad. And then um, Teddy's brother pushes him and says, shut up, cry baby. And so Keith thinks um, Superman would like that this this um, 
Teddy is being picked on. He wouldn't think it was fair picking on somebody just because you're bigger. So he goes over to Teddy and he says, come on, come over and stand with me, Teddy. I won't let anybody hurt you. I bet you're sad because Superman's dead. That's okay. See, I'm crying too. Here, why don't you hold Tiger, his cat? It won't bring Superman back, but maybe it'll make you feel better. What a beautiful scene. These children touched by Superman's life. He's gone, but moved to continue Superman's spirit. And that is what's so wonderful, really, about, and it's something explored uh, very clearly, very purposely in all uh, of these issues, but especially, I think, in this part of the saga. Uh, We have a a sequence here where there's somebody who is a terrorist uh, wanting to blow up Superman's funeral as a political statement. Batman puts an end to that because he's there amongst the, the, uh, the mourners. We have the underworlders who are looking on from under Metropolis, we have a wonderful scene where there is a man selling Death of Superman bleeding S-Shield t-shirts and the um, Superman dead uh, issue of the Daily Planet with a black armband in a bag, right? And um, Bibbo goes in and he shakes this guy down and the guy says, look, Superman saved my family from a burning building, but now we're on the streets and I'm out of work. My family has got to eat somehow. So Bibbo, by the way, won the lottery and owns a bar. So he says, I'm going to buy every T-shirt, every newspaper. And he says, you sold your stuff. Now shut up and listen. If you want honest work, come see me tomorrow. Name's Bibbo. I owned Ace of Clubs. He's going to give this guy a job. He's thinking to himself, um, Superman was my favorite because he was tough, but he always tried to help the little guy. Much as I'd like to smash this twerp, Superman wouldn't like it, especially after he went to all the trouble of saving him. So, um, again, the spirit of Superman living on. A wonderful scene here. Uh, They reach Centennial Park. We have the statue, uh, this wonderful statue that we we mentioned earlier. Um, I think, I don't know if I did mention it, Superman standing, uh, his right arm resting on his hip, his left arm out with an eagle to homage to a golden age Superman cover. And um, we have offering uh, their thoughts in, uh, well, I have getting ahead of myself here. We have a bit of an altercation in the, uh, in the crowd. And it's very important because it's going to be a, a big factor later in the Superman adventures, of Superman book. We have a guy named, uh, I think his name's Roxy, Leech. I could be wrong, but I seem to remember that's his first name. He's there with these thugs. He's kind of like a slimy kind of business guy, you know, uh, just a sleazeball. And he says to Jimmy, if you will give me the international sign over the rights to that photo of Superman, I'll make you rich. And so Jimmy gets mad. He punches Leech, knocks him off of his feet. He says, Superman was my friend. The photo is not for sale. These thugs draw their guns. Robin drops in, and he um, takes them out. And Jimmy says, thanks, man. And uh, Robin says, you'd have done the same for me. By the way, Tim Drake had met uh, Jimmy Olsen in an in a earlier issue, a uh, storyline that, I've, if memory serves, involved vampires. It was kind of a Halloween issue, uh, and they, they end up working together uh, to deal with that. Batman and Robin had had gone to Metropolis. We then see uh, Green Lantern and Wonder Woman taking care as there's been kind of a, of a not a brawl breakout, but and not a riot, but just some fighting, some unrest. Jonathan and Martha, meanwhile, are watching. And Jonathan says, we're going to say goodbye to our son in our own way. We go back to Metropolis where the Clintons, now this was December of 92, so they weren't yet installed, right? Uh, but uh, uh, there we have Bill Clinton as president, 
giving some final thoughts along with Hillary Clinton. And then um, Lois deciding I have to finally go and I have to call Jonathan and Martha. I've been putting it off. Meanwhile, they are at the site where his rocket landed, Clark's rocket, and they are taking some of his personal items and burying them in that hole. And Martha has a box that includes her scrapbook of all of his super feats and a teddy bear and a catcher's mitt and a baseball. She says, heaven gave us to you, uh, and now heaven has taken you. And so they bury these items. Jonathan uh, drops the dirt on there, and Martha says, we tried it, Jonathan, your way. And he finishes her sentence and says, it's not enough. It feels empty as hell. And he says, nothing, just my stomach acting up again. But he's he's gesturing, or he's, he's feeling his arm, his left arm, which is an interesting sign. He says it's his stomach. Hmm, that's going to come up in a later issue. And uh, Martha says, I feel like nothing can plug the hole in my heart. Jonathan says, like, nobody needs us now. Almost like there's no reason to go on living. We go back to Metropolis where they are lowering the casket of Superman with Superman's body into the tomb. And then um, we have Wonder Woman, Hal Jordan, putting the capstone over the casket as the onlookers watch. And the presider says, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. A crying Lois says, answer the phone, please, referring to Martha and Jonathan. They are uh, coming into the house. They do answer the phone, and she uh, tearfully apologizes, Lois. And I couldn't do anything but watch him die. All I could do was report on the fight. And um, Jonathan says, listen to me, Lois. It's not your fault. You did all you could. Everyone did everything they could. Martha says, we're coming, sweetie. Hold on a little while. We'll be right there, ending that issue. The next issue is Superman 76, which is Funeral for a Friend number 4. We, we talked about that last week. <clears throat> and so now we're going to go ahead and skip that issue. And I've been checking my, my uh, log here to see what the next issue would be of December. Uh, and that is Adventures of Superman 499. So that will be our final uh, issue covered in this episode. Let me go through here. And do please go back and listen to that episode. It really is a beautifully written issue. And it, and it brings to a close the, the Mitch character's story arc and some other areas. Adventures of Superman number 499 has that statue we mentioned, um, the memorial statue of Superman on the cover with uh, an eternal flame burning at its feet. We have all the mourners there uh, at the base of the statue who are, um, are uh, thinking of contemplating the loss of this great hero. We open with Lex Luthor uh, going into, he's in his robe, uh, dressing himself in his robe. There is an alert, and uh, infrared sensors registering movement in out sector 10. Identify the problem, Luthor says, and it turns out the surveillance camera there, wherever there is, has been disabled. In comes Supergirl. She says, where is out sector 10, Lex? And he says, Superman's tomb, love. Ah, we now know Luthor didn't just offer out of his kindness to build this statue in Superman's honor. For whatever reason that Luthor would have, he's got sensors there. He's got cameras. He's got monitors. Why is it possible he thinks Superman could return from the dead? And his sensors are detecting action uh, 10 meters below the uh, or near the statue. Uh, I'm sorry. The um, the 
where Superman's body is resting. So Supergirl says, I'm going to go and um, I'm going to go and investigate. And Luthor thinks, could he still be alive? Title of this issue is Grave Obsession, and it is written by Jerry Ordway, art by Tom Grummet and Doug Hazelwood. Supergirl arrives, uh, and she goes through a um, tunnel. There's a ventilator shaft, and so she goes in through that tunnel. There is a what looks like um, just kind of a vagrant there on, on a park bench, but he calls in the police because he's an undercover cop who's been monitoring the park in case anything broke out near Superman's tomb. And um, Supergirl goes in. She sees the entryway, pulls the door open, and when she enters where Superman's body, his casket, would be, she finds a hole in the wall, massive hole, and the coffin nowhere to be seen. Meanwhile, uh, I'm going to skip through some of these other, this kind of a side plot here about Jose Delgado uh, and Inspector Henderson. Meanwhile, the Kents are in Metropolis now. They're staying with Lois at her apartment and uh, she is with her cat Elroy looking out at the snow as it falls and says, oh, Elroy, it's been so depressing and I've been no comfort to Clark's folks. Jonathan, meanwhile, says hers and Clark's best days were ahead of them. Marriage, maybe a couple of grandchildren. It's all so unfair to us all. Um, <clears throat> and so we go back to Luthor and um, he is waiting on a report from Supergirl who tells him uh, that she has followed the tunnel and it's carved through dirt rock anything and everything that's below there and the walls look like they've been heat fused or something to offer structural support he tells her to keep looking for the body meanwhile uh on the surface we have dan turpin arriving um he's been called in by this undercover cop and they are going to go uh and go into the the tomb or well into the tunnel that that supergirl took Dan Turpin goes in and follows. Um, we also have some criminals going, uh, again, kind of ransacking Metropolis. And Bibbo is there trying to you know, do his part. And Gangbuster comes in, Jose Delgado, and, and uh, helps out with that situation. Another little subplot there. Meanwhile, Supergirl is now in these caverns beneath Metropolis. And she's lost contact with Lex. She hears voices goes into this larger part of the cavern, and there she finds, right as Dan Turpin walks in as well, she finds the Underworlders. They attack Supergirl. She begins to fight them, and uh, Dan Turpin is watching. And so she's making short work of them. It's not really a, a big problem for her. Um, <laughs> one of the funny scenes in here is Dan Turpin, this creature, one of the Underworlders, who, which is just a head and a hand, <laughs> comes out of nowhere and takes his hat. And um, so he starts shooting at the Underworlders to get uh, to get them off of him. And then Kloster appeals, appears. And he's this huge monster that kind of looks a little bit like Doomsday. And we think, if you remember in The Death of Superman, it seemed like he had been killed by Doomsday, but here he is, Kloster, invulnerable inside and out, he says. Why do you think Underworld takes Superman? Uh, so she begins to battle him. Turpin is fighting these other uh, these other characters here, these underworld characters. And um, one of them has grenades on its belt. Turpin grabs the belt, and uh, he grabs two of the grenades and pulls the pins. So now I should point out, just as a little trivia here, 
this character with the grenades has these ram horns and he's blue. You could fight him and frequently fought him in a red version of him in the Super Nintendo Death and Return of Superman game, which I played the heck out of. I love that game. Still have it. Uh, and it's so fun. So anyway, that's one of these characters here with the grenades is, is one of those that you fought there. Supergirl flies in, grabs Turpin, and they fly out as the grenades go off, closing the entrance to the cavern. They come back up to the surface where Maggie Sawyer is now there. And um, we have a conversation that uh, is happening between all of them. Supergirl confirming to Maggie Sawyer, Superman's body definitely missing, came up empty on the search. She says, I have to report back to Lex Luthor. And um, then we have Dan Turpin saying, we know someone got to Superman and we both know who wanted him. I say we go back down there and follow that other branch till we hit Paydirt or Cadmus. And sure enough, the final panel shows us two Cadmus guards. They're armed and Superman's body lying on a an examination table deep within Cadmus. And that ends this issue. And this will be the final issue that we discuss here in this episode uh, and this portion of Funeral for a Friend. So we'll take a short break, and when we get back, we'll wrap up this episode. As I said at the top of the show there, the beginning of the show, we're going to have some changes coming in the future for Superman Lives. And I, and I think these will be uh, changes that hopefully will be enjoyed and welcomed by all of you who are listening, and, and it will also draw in some new uh, listeners. So one thing that's changing is that I've decided that um, starting with the this really issue, or not issue, I'm sorry, this episode, we will have 12 episodes per season of Superman Lives. So this is the second, uh, the third volume of the show, but this was now, with this episode, we end season one. So what you'll see when we go into the new year is uh, when you see those episode descriptions, it will be episode two point something, right? So 2.1, 2, etc. Every um, every season will be roughly 12 episodes, perhaps more, probably not going to be less than 12. It just kind of depends how things go with life. Um, but I would like to keep it at 12 for uh, the show. And so what's going to happen as far as, as that next year is that um, we will continue this coverage of Funeral for a Friend when we return next week. Um, but then we will have the very long Reign of the Superman and then Return of Superman. And that almost was a year-long uh, storyline. So I'll jump around here and there throughout the months. I'll come back to it um, around a certain you know 30, uh, 30th anniversary markers there. And then, of course, for the end of uh, the whole storyline, which was Superman 82, I'll do an episode right on that date as well. Um, the other thing, though, that is going to be changing about Superman Lives is that the show will be going from a um, weekly uh, schedule to a monthly schedule. Some of you may be kind of disappointed to hear that. And uh, there's several reasons. The main reason is that um, I have since, I guess, about six months or so now, or maybe less, um, have been figuring out what do I want to do with podcasting in terms of I had been on YouTube for years. I had podcasted for years before that. And then I, I decided with Superman Lives to come back to just pure audio broadcasting. And what I've decided is that I want to expand my topics beyond 
only this this podcast. Um, and so what's going to happen is some of this is tentative, but overall it's it's finalized. So what you're going to find starting in January, starting next week, Superman Lives will be the first uh, week of every month. That will be a new episode of Superman Lives. In this case, it will be episode 2.1 or season 2, episode 1. That'll be next week's episode of Superman Lives. Then after that, the second week of the month will be a new podcast called Batman Lives. And it will allow me to focus in the same way that I am with Superman Lives on the iconic Batman. And so I'll start, in fact, with um, Batman Lives will begin the second week of January. And that will be starting with a uh, an episode zero, as I did with Superman Lives. The third week of every month will be certainly, uh, or currently, I should say, untitled, but it will be a horror um, mystery podcast. So sometimes I'll talk about horror movies and literature, uh, but other times I may talk about real life horror stories, weird news stories, things of that nature. So it will definitely be uh, a bit of a darker, creepier uh, podcast. That'll be the third week of each month. And then the fourth week of each month will be a live stream. uh, And I will show you uh, where that is before it happens, of course. You'll want to follow me on social media. I'll be creating a new Facebook page for all of these podcasts that you'll be able to go to that one place and get each episode, each link each week. But all of this will be hosted on my Fan Man channel uh, on YouTube. And so that will be really your your one-stop place to get all of this. That fourth week podcast, as I said, will be a live stream. I don't know the day yet uh, or the time. Um, and it will be an opportunity to talk about several different topics, uh, current events, although I really don't care much about the real world stuff. But, you know, you can come in uh, and and, uh, chime in and become part of the chat. And so that will be beginning uh, next month. So Superman Lives will become monthly, but filling the, the other weeks will be three new podcasts. And because of the nature of the host that I use for Superman Lives, which is Anchor FM, I will have to create uh, three new podcasts because they don't allow you to have more than one individual podcast per account. So be on the lookout for Batman Libs, uh, that that horror podcast that I mentioned to you, and then that live stream. That will likely be uh, live streamed via YouTube. Um, and um, I'll, again, give you more information as we get closer to it. I'm still finalizing the names and things of that nature. So some exciting changes. I, I hope that folks will still... Uh, be in, in interested. It does mean less of Superman Lives, uh, which I know is a negative in one way, but I think it will also appeal to other folks who also like Batman and and who like... And I, in that fourth week podcast, I'll talk about all sorts of different topics. So Marvel and films and science fiction and horror and, you know, as I said, weird news and whatever it is the chat brings up, things of that of that nature. That third week podcast will be uh, also about the horror. Science fiction as well will be a part of that strange, any kind of genre fiction really outside of comic books will be fodder for that that third week podcast. So big changes coming. I think some exciting changes. I want to thank all of you for listening. Uh, it has been a great um, 
a great thing to see the response to Superman Lives on Facebook. And, and uh, I haven't seen any reviews yet on iTunes, but I've been getting comments. I've been getting emails, and I, I do really appreciate that. So thanks so much. Uh, I, it means a lot that you enjoy the content. And I'd ask you to just share this content with anyone you think who might enjoy it. And that way we can build a bigger listenership, and um, that's good for all of us. So thanks so much. I hope that you um, have had a wonderful Christmas with family and friends, and I hope that you will have a wonderful celebration of this new year, which is looming now. I'm recording this in, I geez, I think it's after 11 now while I'm recording this. So uh, we, we are not long, yeah, it's 11.07, so we're not far away from the dawn of 2023, and I'm optimistic. I think we're going to have a, a great year. Uh, that's that Superman optimism that uh, I'm always trying to have. So I look forward to sharing time with you, spending time with you in the coming year. Take care. Until next time, stay safe and stay super. <laughs> <laughs>